1: You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Moneywise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the MoneyWise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout central and south Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your MoneyWise Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to MoneyWise at DavidsonCap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast on Apple Podcasts, and we would love to have you all leave us messages, and don't forget to like the show. So as we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So Jeff, take it away.
0: Okay, in the week just passed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about a 142.5 points, or four-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 was up about 61 points, or 1.3%. And the NASDAQ last week was up a little more than 408 points, or 2.7%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 17%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 22.6%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 20.3%. And we just finished... The first month of the fourth quarter, October, and it was a big month for the markets. The Dow was was up 5.8% for the month of October. The S&P 500 was up 6.9% for the month of October. And the NASDAQ was up 7.3% for the month of October, and I believe...
1: Completely erasing all of September, and the S&P, NASDAQ, and Dow all closed on Friday at all-time highs.
0: At all-time highs.
1: So September is in the rear view. Uh, The highs that the market hit in the first week of September, obviously we have now surpassed that. And this past week of earnings was really one of the biggest weeks for, for earnings, particularly in the technology Arena, the Apple, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Facebook now called Meta, <laughs> all got that out of the way. And some had some good earnings, some not so good, such as Apple and Amazon, but the market, I think took it in stride. <laughs> Friday, both of the, the stocks not not doing horrible. I mean although, although they were down for, for the day. But they, we didn't see these big ten, fifteen percent gap downs in these companies.
2: What's not surprising was when Tim Cook was talking about Apple and doing his phone calls and his conference calls. On the major reason why they disappointed was supply chain. Shocker! Yeah.
1: They had supply chain issues. I mean they they did not sell as many iPhones as anticipated. Issues with chips and having that supply. Um, they they did have they did have better numbers when it came to. Um, iPads, um, their Mac numbers were pretty much in line, but really where they saw big revenue growth was in their services side. And I know, Jeff, you and I had a conversation earlier this past week how I'm a subscriber to Apple Music, and I absolutely love that service. It's well worth the $10 a month that I pay for it to be able to grab any album, any song of any music genre I want to. And put it within my Apple Music library. So I really love that service. So I can see why their revenue growth did as well as it it did in the third quarter.
0: So the market didn't have any big meltdown from disappointing earnings from the big five. Uh, Now we have to get to next week. And next week's Federal Reserve... Bum 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 bum. bum, 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 bum. Yeah, exactly. See, <laughs> well, we here have, we go. Have, we have the scare. We, we <laughs> have Halloween, Halloween on Sunday. And then we had the I ghouls. Said. We had the ghouls come out. I think it's on, uh, on are, are you, uh, Tuesday.
1: To, Pardon me, on here. Wednesday.
0: On Wednesday, the Federal Reserve ghouls come out.
1: Oh, gosh. And They're actually calling the FO. And, on
0: and they will finally announce The exact date of when the taper begins.
1: And what do you think how the market is going to react? My personal feelings is I feel that a a lot of that, the taper, when it's going to start, by how much, is primarily priced into the market. What are your thoughts, Joe?
0: Well, well, how, how it's priced into the market is I really don't know how it's priced into the market. Is the market expecting a 12-month taper? Is the market expecting a six-month taper? Is the market expecting a three-month taper? I don't know. I, I, I really haven't read anything or seen any statistics about what the market believes is is, is what they're looking for for the Fed. My guess is going to be is, they, is, is the markets would like to see a taper as long as possible because, remember – the the federal reserve has been trying to separate the taper from a federal reserve rate increase and the inference there is that the rate increase would not begin until the taper ended so if the market is happy with with a longer taper than what they were expect the market was expecting then the the inference would be that okay the federal reserve has already said that they're not going to raise interest rates until they've they've finished the t- finished the taper so therefore they come out and say we're going to taper over the next 12 months then that means we're not going to have an interest rate increase from the federal reserve out 12 months the markets might react to that favorably but i don't think the i don't think the fed's going to box themselves in to a specific time frame cuz it's all going to be data, data dependent,
1: dependent. And that's exactly what they're going to say, Jeff. I mean, we're already saving our listeners a lot of time from even paying attention to the FOMC meeting next week because they're going to announce the taper. It's going to start in November. They're going to start at $10 billion a month out of the $120 billion of liquidity they're pumping into the this market. This is
0: your – just so we know, this yes. is your prediction.
1: This is my prediction, but I, I think this is what's going to happen, and we're going to start at $10 billion. But then everything is going to be data dependent because we did have some numbers and I don't want to steal your economic number thunder. But when you saw the first uh, the first uh, call on third quarter GDP, it was below expectations. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you it was only three tenths hotter than the fabulous GDP growth that we had during the eight years of President Obama being in the White House. Now, for our listeners, my tongue is buried deep in my cheek. Because during Obama's eight years in the White House, we had the slowest economic growth post-World War II at 1.7%. And so the first announcement of third quarter GDP was a whopping 2%. So that's some data that can give the Fed a little pause to string out the taper longer. But we'll pick this topic up on the other side of this break. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcast, where you can leave comments and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in to this weekend's MoneyWise program, continuing to recap Wall Street from last week, again, major, major brunt of earnings that came out this past week from really the big five, where it's Google, Amazon, Apple, Facebook. Microsoft. Um, and Microsoft. Some had good earning numbers, some not so good, but the market took it in stride with the S&P 500 up 1.3 percent for the week. Um, NASDAQ up 2.7 and the Dow even positive up four tenths. But as we were saying in the first segment, all of the corrective move that we saw in the month of September has been completely wiped away with the S&P, NASDAQ and Dow Jones Industrial Average all hitting all-time highs and closing at all-time highs on friday and so before we went to break we were talking about some of the economic statistics that came out this past week and how it's going to be correlated to the federal reserve meeting that's going to be coming up next week where we all anticipate them to announce that they're going to begin the tapering of their monthly bond purchases currently fed spending 120 billion dollars a month on bonds and i kind of was giving all of our listeners the prediction so they don't have to worry about paying attention to it next week that they'll <laughs> announce it it'll start in November 10 billion a month it's going to be data dependent whether they speed it up or shut it off for a month so it could be a we could see some starts and stops of the tapering because we did get the first reading of third quarter GDP at only 2% which was below expectations.
0: Yeah, the expectations were 2.7% the most recent GDP figure for the second quarter was a robust 6.7% growth rate. So and, yeah, and we, to, to say to say that it dropped, you know, that's a big drop. But we've, we got, contributing uh, we, we've, got, we've got, got contributing
1: we, factors. We've got contributing factors.
0: We've got to take into consideration everything that's happened. And I don't – basically your co- – your prediction for the taper is the the Federal Reserve is going to take a 12 month period to do the taper, and i I don't think that I don't think the Fed can wait that long. Um, not with inflation where it is right now. I think I think the Fed's going to have to speed it up to to more like six to nine months. Uh, I, six months, I think, on the short short end; nine months on the long end. I just I just don't see a whole year unless we're going to, unless we get some massive turnaround in inflation yes. and I don't think there's going to be ma- any massive turnaround in inflation until there's a massive turnaround in uh, the supply chain disruptions and it doesn't appear that there's any but that's abating because it's like like we said in the in the previous segment it's being mentioned by you know one of the most valuable companies on the planet uh, as a reason for them missing their earnings expe- expectations. And I don't think uh, Tim Cook said anything about uh, – you all can help me out this – I didn't I didn't hear him say anything about when he thought the supply chain issues were going to resolve. No. Yes, Joe. And,
1: and, they're, and they're not giving any and, – and Apple didn't give any forward guidance because there's just too many unknowns
2: out there. Yeah, Joe. A, a little bit – I am surprised a little bit when Tim Cook said that um, regarding supply chain. I mean, if he's having issues getting – Chips and, and the equipment, everything he needs to be to produce revenue. What does it say about everybody else? You know, this could this could be protracted substantially longer than everybody thinks. And well, I, I'm sorry, but, but, you know, when they're talking about crates and having a penalty of $100 per crate that's, that sits on the or, or, or container that sits on the ship for every day, I don't know if y'all paid attention to that or not. I heard but, that. That's not going to do a darn thing about this. It's just not. It's going to... It's going well, to happen. The, 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 Go prob,
1: the problem is when you have 4,000 chassis that have empty containers on them in the ports of LA and Long Beach, that's a problem. But it's also the the issue with a lack of drivers to move them around to get them unloaded. And so maybe the penalties Penal- might help them speed up a little bit. Yep. Maybe if the fines were a little bit bigger than $100 a day. But, but not- really. There's nothing the Fed can do about it. Yeah, there's nothing – exactly. There's nothing the Fed can do about it. But to Joe's point, and it's a very good point, is that Apple, one of the most valuable companies in the world, is having issues. It's affecting everyone all the way down to mom-and-pop businesses. And so whether it takes the Fed 12 months or longer to end the taper, it's all going to be data-dependent. So if we do start to see the supply chain bottleneck loosen up, and obviously, with demand as strong as it is, we start to see increase in GDP growth. And so that will give cover for the Fed to maybe speed up the taper. But it's, it's all a big wild card. We don't know yet. We have to see the information come in as time goes on. But right now, when you see a second quarter or third quarter, first reading a third quarter GDP at 2%, I think that's primarily laid at the feet of the supply chain issue because this is in the nineteen seventies where we had stagflation where we had low demand and high prices. We have higher prices and high demand and that demand is having issues being met because of the supply chain. So I've talked to some clients and I've heard this being discussed back and forth, particularly clients that have been that were adults or teenagers in the seventies when we had stagflation. Today and the back in the seventies they're not they're not the same at all they're not because in the 70s we had low demand and high prices that's not the situation now we have high demand and higher prices because of a lack of supply due to supply chain so i just don't want investors to get that confused thinking that we're going to be going into the stagflation of the 1970s because i personally from the research i'm doing i don't see that i don't see that i know jeff you got to say something about that well uh- <laughs> Here it I'm, comes. Not,
0: I'm well I'm not seeing I, it's gonna be a bit before we get our next inflation number. Uh we're also gonna get an unemployment number uh, next Friday, mm-hmm. which is gonna see have we had any improvement in in high you know, if we if we get another Jobless low claims number, are down. If we, Jobless if we
1: claims if we, are low.
0: Okay. Well if we get another low number like we got in at the beginning of October that's below expectations you know what? What is what? What's the takeaway going to be? What's the takeaway going to be from that? But, it, if inflation continues to stay at this level for all the reasons you just said, Kyle, interest rates eventually have to catch up to that reality. We're not going to have one. And what's what's really interesting is this: in the week just passed, interest rates trended lower. We were right. we were uh, almost a full. Tenth of a percent on the 10-year Treasury lower in yield. Now, is that because of the GDP number coming in much lighter than expected? Uh, is it, is, like you said in the, in the previous segment, Kyle, is that going to give the Federal Reserve uh, some ammunition, if you will, to extend the taper out even longer? I think with that that inflation still out, you know, they can't, we can't run 5 6% inflation year over year This year and next, it's, it's just not, it's going to have implications. It's eventually going to show up in earnings and it's going to, and it's going to, and it's going to show up in higher, you know, higher caught living costs. You see how much gasoline is costing now, you know, it's well over $3 a gallon. I remember we used when we were wringing our hands about it a few years ago, when, when gasoline prices got up over $3 a gallon, how much more that's costing, Families, I think I saw some kind of statistic that the gas, gasoline prices alone are costing the average family like $175 more a month?
1: More a month, yeah. Well, and, and, and we've heard, in, in especially in conservative media arenas, that this is going to be the most expensive Thanksgiving dinner, if not most expensive Christmas dinner that we've had in history because of this inflation. But then we have the Biden administration going to this climate summit summit <laughs> oh, in no. Scotland yeah. and hold on. This is coming where they're going to be asking OPEC to, 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 to pump more oil. It's uh, like, by the way, hey, he's, he's taking a Joe, sailboat, right?
2: So he's okay. Yeah, that's right. Here's so, a so, little, so,
1: hey, here's a little, here's a little, here's a little tip. The U S is flush with oil and gas. How about we, how about we, you know, make some policies a little more friendly to our oil and gas producers and start relying on our own energy like we had. Instead of build back better, how about go back to the way things were before yeah. you took office?
0: I think I mentioned why the oil companies aren't pumping more oil and gas because they like the prices where they are and they want to pad their balance sheets for a bit.
1: Well, I mean, that, that, that's Pay up. Pay off some de- debts. That, that's, it, up, that's definitely up for debate. But I can say that we have definitely have some logistic companies like Amazon, who's really great at logistics, that can maybe go over to the ports and help them organize and shuffle some things around to get things moving a little bit smoother. But really what this comes down to for all investors that are listening to the program is this is why you cannot be complacent in your portfolio because we don't know – right now the waters are, are, are very muddy. And there's never 100% clarity in the stock market or bond market ever, but there's different times where the levels of, of muddiness are greater and not so great. Well, right now, the waters are definitely muddy, and so you have to pay attention to what's in your portfolio because there are so many unknown data points that we now have to wait for this information to come in, and nobody knows which direction it is going to go with so many different unknowns out there. So, you have to know what you own. You have to pay attention to what's going on in your portfolio. Don't get complacent. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the MoneyWise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office, toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at DavidsonCap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can Leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So coming back from the bottom of the hour break, Jeff, I know we want to shift gears a bit, go into some of the other economic statistics that came out this past yes, week. Yes, I have,
0: I have been so lonely for so many different I know. So many shows. I haven't had an opportunity to talk about economic going statistics. going through withdrawals,
1: folks. That's I right. and, I,
0: that. and I'm, I'm sure our listeners are waiting on the edge of their seats to hear the economic statistics from last week. Uh, we had Monday, uh, pardon me, Tuesday, new home sales. The median new home price. Hits a new record of $409,000. That's the median new home selling price, a jump of 18.7% year over year. The average selling price of a new home in the United States in the month of September was $452,000. Uh, the month supply fell to 5.7 months supply of new homes, the lowest wow. since May.
1: And, and uh, can I just can I just yeah. add something about the housing? Because I read an interesting sure. article this this uh, actually on Friday about the housing market, comparing the housing market to the housing market back in '06 and 07. And this this analyst said that the housing markets are completely different because he's been hearing some grumblings in the housing uh, industry that are we starting to see things like '06 and '07. And from his analysis, it's absolutely not the case because back then we had very much oversupply of homes, homes being built as fast as they can. And then all of these folks going not all these folks, but a lot of borrowers going out and getting liar loans. And if you could fog a mirror, you could buy a million dollar house where that is not the situation. Now, Jeff, as you just mentioned, we have less than a six month supply of housing mm-hmm. nationally, and that is very low. And so, Just like the other supply chain bottleneck issues we have with products across the country, we also have a very low supply of homes, which is driving up the home prices. And from a mortgage standpoint, you know, myself just recently going through it for a mortgage, they put you through the ringer, which is good because it keeps a lot of the fraudulent mortgages that we saw back in 06 and 07 out of supply. It doesn't put it in the mix where it's good lenders with jobs, with income that are qualifying for these homes to prevent another housing type crisis like we had in 06 and 07. And trust me, they run you through the gauntlet and it's exhausting. But that's the situation we have now with housing. And, and I've heard anecdotally from areas, particularly in Austin, where things are starting to cool a little bit, uh, but still home prices overall, It is definitely a seller's market. So
0: on Wednesday, durable goods were announced, and durable goods fell less than expected in the month of of September, only down a percent The expectations were for a decline of uh, 1.1%. We talked about GDP, the first reading of third quarter GDP, coming in at only 2%. Pending home sales unexpectedly fell in the month of September, uh, by 2.3%, uh, you
1: know. I think the storm they, also, Ida, had something to do with that. Day. Well, the they thing it's,
0: it is kids going back to school. Yeah. Typically go back to school in August, you know, early September, and so folks that are moving around, they get their moving done, and they get settled in.
2: They're not um, shopping for houses. Yeah, they're not They're <laughs> not shopping
0: for houses, except, unless they're looking for new houses, apparently.
1: It kind of had a major hurricane hit the southeast, so that, that also doesn't help uh, with Vers- the, with the statistics either.
0: Uh, personal income and spending spending was up six tenths of a percent uh but personal income was uh was down a little bit uh, yeah, you
2: know we know we know why income was down. the well, checks were stopping i don 't know what the number also was on consumer confidence. But that a couple of weeks ago, they posted that and that was a lot higher than expected. And I think this that past week, consumer
1: helped. confidence yeah. was was above expectations. But but here's the other thing as Jeff, as you mentioned, next week, we're going to get the employment report mm-hmm. on Friday. And the one statistic that came out this past week is that the jobless claims again hit another low. And so that that's a good thing. But again, going back to talk about the strength of the economy and the first read of third quarter GDP being at 2%, and it's a little misleading because we saw just in the previous month almost 5 million people quit their job. People don't just voluntarily quit their job if they feel that the economy is not in a good spot. They just don't do that. They do that because they're looking for better opportunities, and they feel that there are better opportunities for them to be able to move up, move up to a different position and make more money.
0: There's a high probability of of being able to move up to a different position.
1: Yeah, so it's just this confluence of conflicting information.
0: (laughs) So the economic news for the week just passed was by and large mixed. But the earnings news, did you go into the – The statistics about earnings? I did,
1: not and I can touch on it real quick. As of Friday's close, 56% of the companies in the S&P 500 have reported uh, their earnings per share for the third quarter of 2021. Of these companies, 82% have reported actual earnings per share above estimates, which is also above the five-year average of 76%. And if 82% is the final percentage for the quarter, it will mark the fourth highest percentage of the S&P 500 companies reporting a positive earnings surprise since FactSet began tracking this metric back in 2008. And aggregate companies reporting earnings that are 10.3% above estimates, which is also above the five-year average of 8.4%. So, so good so far. If you're looking at the revenue, in terms of revenue, 75% of the S&P 500 companies have reported actual revenues above estimates, which is also above the five-year average of 67. So, EPS growth, very good. Earnings or EPS earnings per share, very good. Revenues, very good as well. So. From the earnings so, front, so what could numbers, be, are, numbers is there, are good.
0: It, it is, what could derail the rest the rest of this quarter, the rest of this year?
1: Well, obviously not just like Tim Cook said, <laughs> going back to Apple, not being able to have chips to make products, to put the products on the shelves, not getting products out of the port and off the rail cars and into the stores for Christmas shopping. Uh, hopefully shoppers have heeded warnings Uh, From the infinite wisdom of Pete Buttigieg that you need to start shopping early uh, and not wait to the last minute because you might be very much disappointed. I can tell you again, anecdotally, my wife had to rush out to get me a Halloween costume. And so she went to one of these Halloween pop up stores uh, a few days back and she said it was pure pandemonium and got the last costume uh, of what she was looking for for me that was on the shelves.
2: So what are you going to go as, Kyle? I mean, our <laughs> listeners have got to know this. I mean, you, you open up that box. Uh, that, that's for me to know. That's on a need-to-know basis, Joe. That's on a
1: need-to-know. I was going to go as another character, and so the stuff had gotten ordered from Amazon actually more than a week and a half ago saying that it was going to be here before Halloween. And then we just got notices a few days ago that it's not going to be well into November. And this information also showed up in Amazon's earnings report this past week because they're having issues with shipping, their shipping costs and their employee costs and lack of employees to get these products, products out faster, faster and then also getting the
2: products shipped in. And ready to distribute. Well, to Jeff's point, I mean the same thing happened to me about a week and a half ago. I was going to buy a costume on Amazon, and for the for those of you that know me, I probably don't have to wear a costume anyways. So, <laughs> but what I'm getting at, what I think maybe Jeff's alluding to is you look at the holiday season. What could possibly hurt, hurt the market? We won't know earnings obviously for the fourth quarter uh, and, and and Christmas until till the first quarter. It's true, but I think sales. It could be pretty rough for sales in in a lot of different areas. So,
1: well, but but again, is this a situation that is somewhat a known thing when it comes to earnings going in? Well, for the fourth quarter as we get these earnings information in January of next year, because it, it's no surprise the issues that that our economy is having from a supply chain.
0: So it's a taper. Faster than the market expect, expects, and we're going, to get an, we're going to get an indication of what the market is expecting when the, when the Federal Reserve makes their announcement next week of what the taper really is going to be. If the market doesn't react to whatever their announcement is, then as you say, Kyle, they've already priced it in. Uh, number two is... We have two more inflation numbers. We got November's—the one that comes out in November for October, the one that comes out in December for November. Those are going to drive the data-dependent Fed people on whether on, if they're if they're not going to give us any uh, specific timetable to finish the taper, and they're going to throw all this data-dependent stuff in there. If those inflation numbers come in hotter well, then the expectation is going to be the taper in sooner and interest rates go up sooner, and I'm not sure if the market is necessarily prepared for that. Or we just go up for the rest of the year because it's, it's, a, it's a seasonal it's thing. Reasonable. But, it's, 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 right but, right but, but hey, we've it's already really had pandemic. a – if we didn't do anything for the rest of the quarter, we've had a great quarter. I mean, the S&P, if, S&P up 7% for the quarter. That's 28% that's annualized. I mean, we could do nothing for the rest of the year and have – a great year and a
2: great quarter. We could lose, and I don't want to be Debbie Downer. We could lose five percent and still have a good year across the board on all the indexes. So, well, let's. We're,
1: I'm going to give you a lump of coal in your stockings <laughs> for saying that, Joe. But let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can like the show, please like the show, and leave us a comment. We'd appreciate it. So I wanted to shift gears a bit, get into some investor education. It was an article that I ran across this past week from MarketWatch. And the article is titled, Here's How Congress Wants to Combat Early Withdrawals from Retirement Accounts. Now, I had a conversation earlier this week with a new client who's a sister of one of our clients that had passed away earlier this year. And she was just kind of giving me kind of the whole rundown of all of her different assets, where they were spread out. And she mentioned that she had two old 403Bs and that she was drawing, she was retired and drawing funds, but these assets were still held within the 403Bs. And the one thing that we always say here at Davidson Capital Management is if you're no longer working for your employer, your assets should no longer be working there either. Because when you retire or when you leave an employer, you have the ability to roll those assets into a self-directed IRA, which is going to broaden your investment opportunities because you're not going to be held to the investment menu that's within your employer's retirement plan. You can then hire someone like a Davidson Capital Management to be able to professionally manage it for you. And this also applies if you're past 59 and a half and still working. For your employer and making contributions to your 401k you have the ability to do an in-service distribution but what this article went into is american retirement portfolios suffering from what they're terming as leakage what they've termed as leakage every year which is defined as early withdrawals from retirement accounts for reasons outside of retirement now as we all know at 59 and a half You can roll your assets out in service distribution. At 59 and a half, you can take withdrawals from traditional IRAs or 401ks and avoid the 10% early withdrawal penalty. There are also very specific instances where you can take assets out of a 401k for things such as a hardship or if you've lost your job or become disabled or have had a death in the family. There are some provisions to be able to take money out of these retirement plans pre-59.5 without being hit with that 10% early withdrawal. But what they found in this study is in 2015, they went back and looked at a study in 2015, that $92 billion of retirement savings was lost due to leakage, meaning pre-59.5-year-old employees taking withdrawals from their 401ks and paying that 10% early withdrawal penalty. And they found in this study that it's not uncommon for the average worker throughout their entire working lifespan to be between eleven, seven, and 11 different employers throughout their career. But what they're finding is is as these employees are leaving their employer, instead of rolling their 401k balances – into self-directed IRAs, or rolling it into their new employer's retirement plan, which we don't recommend at Davidson Capital Management because of the restrictions as far as the investment options and who you can work with, you're you're predicated to work with the people that are actually overseeing the 401k, but they're actually cashing these out. And by cashing these out and paying the 10% early withdrawal penalty, you're absolutely Devastating your retirement savings nest egg by doing this. And we have seen this time and time again over our 32 year career. And what they found, again, going back to this study, that between a third and 47% of employees under the age of 59 and a half who leave their employer that has a retirement plan are cashing those funds out. That statistic blew me away. That <laughs> high of a percentage.
2: Well, it really doesn't shock me that much. I mean, as, as some of our listeners may know, we, we do actually uh, work with plan sponsors and, and work manage in the 401k 401ks. space. Yeah. So. We manage 401ks and I had a caller early this week and we moved from one platform to another, which does happen. You're always trying to improve performance, improve fees and it, this particular participant, you know, he knew he had a balance. He didn't know what happened to it or where it went. That happens more, more often than not. Well, if it's five or ten thousand or twenty thousand or thirty thousand, it's going to add up. And then if you're paying a, you know, ten to twenty percent in taxes plus a ten percent penalty, that, say it's ten thousand dollars, what would that be over twenty years? And you're losing, to your point, Kyle, you're losing compounding interest too. Because you're you're taking it completely out of the market. You're completely taking it out of a tax-deferred vehicle. That's the other – And 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 I think you hit the point – you hit the nail
1: on the head, Joe, is that we see prospective clients that are like, oh, well, I've got an old 401k here, old 401k there, here, there. They might have three or four different 401ks. They don't know what the balances are. They don't know how it's invested because they left that employer years ago. They know they've got money over there, but they don't know how to get it what it's worth. I mean, this is your retirement nest egg. You're participating in a 401k to prepare and plan for your eventual retirement. And you have to be vigilant about this. And so Congress, they've been looking into this issue and they have one proposal called the portable retirement and invest an investment account act which which, which would address this leakage problem to make it easier For participants, when they move from employers to move their accounts, to roll them over to IRAs, I know several years back, um, a lot of 401k plan providers put in a provision to where the plan sponsor can forcibly push participant or former employees' assets into IRAs. On their behalf to help clean up their plan, because you also have to remember as a participant in a 401k, if you're no longer working there, you could be paying an additional fees to continue to be on the rolls as a participant in the plan, even though you're no longer an employee. So what we recommend is this is, again, knowing what you own, but also knowing where your different buckets of retirement assets are. And if you leave your employer, you need to look to roll that into a self-directed IRA. And if you have a 401k that provides the Roth 401k contribution, you still have the same ability to roll those assets into a Roth IRA that's all self-directed, where you can hire a professional asset manager to oversee those assets for you to help you achieve your goal of retirement. So don't forget about your assets when you leave your employer. It's your responsibility. It's your money. It's your nest egg, and you have to take care of it. So, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. For listeners of MoneyWise on 1200 WAI in San Antonio, we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend's MoneyWise program. If you'd like to catch the second hour, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts. For listeners of MoneyWise on 1360 KKTX in Corpus Christi, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, We'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money wise program and continuing with investor education, so stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You are listening to Moneywise with Davidson Capital Management.
0: All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Moneywise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at nine zero six. 00070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com.
0: If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs, you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at
1: DavidsonCap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So now that we're in our second hour this weekend's Money Wise program, and again, like really wanting to use the second hour for investor education, uh, a topic that we have been discussing for the nine-plus years uh, we've had the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, I, it's it's a topic that I wanted to revisit, go into a little bit more detail about, and for any long-time listener of this program, they know uh, our disdain, our distaste, our dislike, or I should say just straight out plain hatred of annuities of any way, shape, or any any shape and form. And so the reason why uh, I've been motivated to to talk more about this and go into deeper investor education this on this weekend show is just here recently working with some prospective clients have been seeing more equity indexed annuities which are the most dastardly of all annuity products out there and wanted to really give the education and pretty much a f- blanket warning to any investor, any listener of this program thinking about getting involved in this type of product to not only get up and walk away, but to get up and run away. And so I want to just go into some education. So let's just start kind of from the very beginning. You know, what is an annuity? An annuity is a contract between you and an insurance company in which the company promises to make periodic payments to you starting immediately or at some future time. So if the payments are delayed, that's called a deferred annuity, and if the payments start immediate, it's called an immediate annuity. Bottom line, the definition of annuity is periodic payments. I mean, really, that's what it is. The key word
0: in that statement that you just made, Kyle, is the word promise. Mm -hmm. It is not a guarantee. That's right. Now, there are, for whatever reason... The insurance industry is allowed to use that word, the G word, as part of the marketing pitch. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it is nothing more than a promise. Because as we've said uh, since the beginning of this show in 2005, there is only one, only guaranteed investment, and that is government, U.S. government bonds, bills, and notes. That's right. That's the only guaranteed investment. Anything else is nothing more than a promise.
1: It's a, and really, it's like you said, Jeff. It's a sales pitch. It's in the sales pitch because that the G word, as we call it, the word "guaranteed" gives the potential buyer that warm and fuzzy feeling that I'm protected under this this blanket of cover, this blanket of guarantee, and that's that's not true in the world of annuities. So, annuities really come in two types: fixed and variable. Now, a fixed annuity, the insurance company guarantees, quote unquote, guarantees both the rate of return and the payout. A variable annuity's rate of return is not stable, and it varies with stock, bond, money market funds that you choose as investment options. And there is no guarantee that you will earn any return on your investment, and there is risk that you will lose money in the variable annuity contract. So those are just kind of the two basic, main basic annuities. Now we get over to what is an indexed or equity indexed annuity. The, the new marketing term that they're using now, Jeff and Dad, is a hybrid annuity, which is starting to show up at uh, at lunch and dinner seminars across the city, a hybrid annuity. This,
0: The equity indexed annuity product mm-hmm. is... On the radio, as 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 it's almost as heavily marketed now as gold is.
1: I'd probably say in some instances more. Jeff. You know,
0: I don't see, I do not see on television a lot of pitches for equity indexed annuities. But whether it's satellite radio, whether it's terrestrial radio, uh, there are radio shows all across. You know, we we hear as we're driving across the state of Texas. There are probably five equity indexed annuity-based radio pitch shows for every one registered investment advisor uh, type show, like we have it here with uh, MoneyWise on KKTX. There will th- be five others. Uh, we know of at least two or three in the San Antonio market that do nothing but pitch equity indexed annuities. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know for a fact in every large market in this state there is a radio show either running on Saturday or Sunday whose one and only basis of running that show is to promote equity-indexed annuities. And
1: every show is just repetitive, 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 trying to drill in all their marketing techniques and some of the outrageous claims that they can make. And as we get further in this education, I'll explain why the salespeople of equity indexed annuities can make such outrageous claims in their sales pitches. So what is an equity indexed annuity? An EIA, for short, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. The return varies more than a fixed annuity, but not as much as a variable annuity. Now, I need to educate our listeners that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete against CDs. Now, Jeff... Throughout the history of, of the advent of CDs, are CDs known for being high rate of return givers? No, earners. They're they're they're
0: basically one step below government bonds in okay. terms of in terms of safety. As a, I mean, in, in return, and in return, you know, CDs are back if you buy a CD at a commercial bank and it has FDIC insurance mm-hmm. and you buy the CD under the FDI insurance limits, then you are covered by the FDIC
1: insurance program if so if that bank should fail. So so with this in mind, knowing that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete with CDs, that should tell you right off the bat that your rate of return, is going to be low. No matter what pitch the salesperson on the other end of the on the other side of the desk is giving you, know in the back of your mind these things were created to compete against CDs. And so you might be looking at a rate of return slightly higher. And now when I say slight, I'm talking slightly higher than what you could get in a fixed annuity. And as we get further into the education, I know we're bumping up on a commercial break, you'll see that with a rate of return that might slightly be a little bit higher than a CD or slightly a little bit higher than a fixed annuity of why you'd want to avoid these things like the plague when we really start to get into the guts of how these things are actually composed. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070. Or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to MoneyWise.com at DavidsonCap.com. So continuing our education about equity indexed annuities and why you should avoid these things like the Black Plague, um, just going into the basics of what exactly it is, an equity indexed annuity, again, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity, uh, and again, these things were created back in the late '90s to compete against the returns of CDs. So, if you're thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, you can know right off the bat, no matter what pitch the salesman gives you, that your rate of return might be a little bit higher than that of a CD. But as we get further into this education, you will see how illiquid these things are and how horrible these products are. And we're doing our best to educate our listeners to avoid this so we will stop seeing prospective clients coming into our office having bought these horrendous products. Um, So let's get back to the EIA. Now, equity indexed annuities offer a minimum rate of return, a rate of interest, and an interest rate linked to a market index. Uh, Now, what is the guaranteed minimum rate? Well, typically, the guaranteed minimum rate is at least eighty-seven and a half percent of the original premium paid. Uh and that interest rate is going to vary depending upon insurance company of about one to three percent. I mean that'll be your minimum rate of return of one to three percent. Now remember if you surrender the equity index annuity early, you will have to pay a significant surrender charge and a 10% tax penalty, which will reduce or eliminate any returns. And I wanted to talk about that. If you're funding annuities, and this goes for equity indexed annuities, fixed annuities, variable annuities. If you're funding annuities with after-tax dollars, and you're pre-59.5, if you take out any money from that annuity, whether it's a full surrender, if it's a 10% free withdrawal, when you receive those dollars, a portion of those dollars would be considered gains and taxed as ordinary income, and you would have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Now the tax consequences of annuities are typically not disclosed by the salesperson. The salesperson only talks about how great the tax deferred growth is, but they don't explain to you that when you pull money out of an annuity, how it's taxed, uh, really the detrimental tax effects it has on the way coming out. And that's something that everyone needs to keep in mind. What we have found, Jeff and I and Dad, what we have found when salespeople are selling annuities, they sell based on half-truths. They only tell you half of the story. They only tell you the good part of the story. They never tell you the bad part of the story because if they told you the bad part of the story, you would never sign on the dotted line. You would never, ever in a million years buy any type of annuity product if they gave you the full truth about these products. And that's what we're here doing today is giving you the full truth about these products to really educate you so you know going in that if this product is pitched to you or positioned to you, you will get up and walk away from the table. So how good is this quote-unquote guarantee? As Jeff and I said earlier, guarantee is only as good as the insurance company that wrote it. So it's not a guarantee. It's a promise And when it comes to these quote-unquote promises, something else that an annuity salesperson will not tell you is that the state of Texas has a state insurance trust where basically that trust is in place in case an insurance company goes out of business. Well, in the state of Texas, the maximum amount of restitution you could receive back from this trust fund at the st- in the state of Texas, if an insurance company that you had assets with went out of business, is a quarter of a million dollars. So if you go and put a half a million, six hundred thousand, a million dollars, whether it be a fixed annuity, equity indexed annuity, or variable annuity, and this insurance company goes belly up, the most you could receive back from the state of Texas would be a quarter of a million dollars. Something else a salesperson is not going to tell you When they're selling you this product, and I can tell you this, during the financial crisis, if we as taxpayers hadn't bailed out AIG with a $186 billion bridge loan to cover their books, the annuity business as we know it would be dead. Now, you don't ever see any stories about that. Nope. We we talk about it. I mean, we talk about
0: it, but but the, but the fact of the matter is, this is a this is a secret part of the financial crisis that's never ever discussed. That's right. And unfortunately, the salesmen that were pitching these products prior to the financial crisis really haven't
1: changed their story. It's the same story. No, the financial crisis, Dad, actually gave them more fire for their sales pitch because annuities Well, partic- fear has got higher. And, yeah, well, particularly equity-indexed annuities, they're sold based on fear. And really annuities in general, but especially equity-indexed annuities, are sold based on fear. So the 2008 financial crisis has done nothing but bolster equity indexed annuity sales because they can pray, the salesman, yes, and I use the word, they can pray on your fear, on your uncomfortableness and say, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I've got the product for you, all the upside of the S&P 500 with none of the downside. How could you go wrong? That is the sales pitch. That is a sales pitch, and it's a flat-out lie. And,
0: and here's the, here is the, the thing about that sales pitch. If you listen to it very carefully, and you hear the, you'll you hear, hear this on the radio shows that promote this product, all the upside, none of the downside. So it's a heads, I win as an investor, and tails, the insurance company loses. I want you – that doesn't exist. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How does an organization stay in business if the market go, goes up 10%? Well, you get 10%. And if, and if the market goes down 10%, well, you get the guaranteed minimum rate of return, which might be 1% to 3%. So you, you win either way.
1: Think about that logically
0: for a second. There's no such thing as a free lunch.
1: And, and here's something else. Here's something else that's thrown into the sales pitch Mr. And Mrs. client, I'm not making a commission. Yeah, that's. I don't make anything. I don't make anything on selling you this product. I'm doing this purely out of the goodness of my heart because I work for free. Right. That is another part.
2: of the will go.
0: They don't go quite that far. But, but the, the. Oh really? I. I you, you may be <laughs> Sorry. You, you may be making a little more dramatic. You may be making a little more dramatic. But there isn't a line item on this on the quarterly statement that comes to the, to the client that says sales commission because the sales commissions are paid directly from the insurance company into the salesperson's pocket.
1: Okay, so getting back to equity indexed annuity. So how are the equity indexed annuity interest rates compounded, the rate of return compounded? Well, again, the indexed, when they talk about index, typically a lot of them use the S&P 500 and The index-linked gains depends on the particular combination of indexing features that the EIA uses. Now, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about participation rate, meaning how much of the linked index are you going to be participating in? So the participation rate determines how much of that gain in the index will be credited to the annuity. For an example, an insurance company might set the participation rate at 80%, which means that the annuity would be credited with 80% of the gain experienced by the index. Now, that sounds good. So
0: if the s and is up 10%, then
1: well, theoretically you'd say, okay, well, I want to get 8%. That's right. Or some a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about a 100% participation. So you as the customer thinking, wow, I get 100% participation of the S&P 500 index, so I get all the upside, but then if it goes down and the market goes to zero or less than zero, I get the guaranteed minimum return. Man, what a great deal. I can't believe these products haven't been around forever. Why doesn't everyone own these? That's the good part. Let's actually get a little bit deeper and talk about what every equity-indexed annuity has that's buried deep in their 100-plus page prospectus. They have what's called an interest rate cap. And what happens is equity-indexed annuities put a cap on the upper limit of your return. And this cap is generally stated as a percentage. So let's say that this maximum rate of interest the annuity will earn, for example you have a cap of say 4%. so the market goes up 10 the s&p goes up 10%. you're capped at 4. that's the maximum amount of money that you can make. that's the maximum amount of credit that can be credited back to your account and i'm oversimplifying right. this and because i don't want to just bore our listeners to sleep but there are very complicated convoluted mathematical equations that are used to create the interest rate that's credited to the account. And I can assure you, it's not to the benefit of the policyholder. It's to the benefit of the insurance company that's providing and created the indexed annuity. And here's another little kicker. Equity indexed annuity companies pitch the interest rate caps. They pitch the participation rates. But guess what? How long do you think that those rates are guaranteed in a typical equity indexed annuity contract? Short periods of time, less than a one year. year. One year. One year less. Equity indexed annuities have the ability, and most of them do this that I've done research on, to adjust those guaranteed interest rate caps and participation rates after the first year. They reset them, and they do not have to notify you of them. So what they do is they get you with the teaser rates, get you to sign on the dotted line, get you locked up into extremely long surrender penalty periods, and then 12 months later, the rug is pulled out from underneath you and your equity indexed annuity. We're going to come to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise.com at DavidsonCap.com. So, before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about how insurance companies that sell equity indexed annuities link interest rates, or basically how your annuity is credited with a rate of return. We talked about the participation rates, how a lot of equity indexed annuities will pitch 100% participation in the linked index, which sounds great, but then you get down to the part of the contract where it talks about the rate of return caps that the equity indexed annuity uh, basically has in place to where they might cap you at a maximum of a 2% rate of return per month. So if the market was up 5% in one month, you might only get two. Um, But again, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, what I have found in my research is that equity indexed annuities give you a one-year teaser rate to get you to sign on that dotted line And then after 12 months of signing that contract, everything changes. Participation rate changes. Interest rate cap changes. And, again, it's to the detriment of your account and to the betterment of the insurance company. And that is a sales pitch. That is a sales tactic.
0: And I don't mean to steal any of your thunder, but there there is another teaser that draws clients in.
1: Oh, thank you, Jeff, for bringing that up. That is the bonus that is given on the premium, and and, and we use the word premium because an equity-indexed annuity is not an investment vehicle. It is an insurance policy, and we'll talk about why that's important in just a little while, so when you're buying an annuity, the money you're putting into it is called a premium, just like if you were buying a life insurance policy, Uh, and so the one thing that we always say to to anyone thinking about buying an equity-indexed annuity Why would an insurance company, if this product is so good. All the upside, none none of the the downside. downside. Why would an insurance company need to motivate a buyer with a 10% or 15% upfront bonus? And I'm talking 10% of what you're investing. So if you're putting in $100,000 with a 10% bonus, they're going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Client, we're going to give you $110,000 of your original premium. So we're going to give you ten free thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars for free to buy this product. Now think about that. If this thing was as good as the salesman is making it out to be, why would they need to give you a bonus? It's all marketing. It's all marketing. That, it's to get your sales juices going, so where you no, will so go inside and get out of line. Really get greed.
0: I mean, how many how many right. investment products can you buy? I mean, if you were to buy a mutual fund. You go on the paper and oh, here's this Vanguard fund. Well, if I buy this Vanguard fund, they're going to give me an extra ten percent. If I put a hundred thousand dollars into it it's now going to be worth one hundred and ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. You see any are your mutual funds offering any, any sort of teasers to get you in or individual stocks? Heck no, no this is the this is one of the only products that I know of that that in order to entice people to sign on the dotted line, they they sweeten the pot. With these bonuses, but you must stay in that investment for the
1: entire. Well, there's different. There's different investing yeah. schedules. There's for different the bonus. investing,
0: but but I can you can bet your bottom dollar yeah. that you're going to have to stay in this investment for an extended period of time to ever actually see any benefit from that bonus. And When I say extended period of time, and we're talking ten years or more.
1: Yeah, and we'll get to the surrender penalty penalty periods in just a second, uh, you know, and again, as I've, I've said to anyone thinking about buying these, if they have to entice you with free money, if this thing is really that good as it's being presented, they wouldn't have to give you anything. Well,
0: if they were really that good, Kyle, why would we even need to be buying stocks? And why would we need to be buying exactly. bonds? And why wouldn't you be buying mutual funds? And why would all these other organizations in the United States that are selling uh, that are managing people's money. Why would, why would we need to be spending all this time about trying to figure out what's going on in the markets? All we got to do is stick it in these equity next news are going to get all the upside and all the downside and a bonus on top of it. And why would the majority of major insurance companies not offer this insurance
1: product? And, and, you, and you bring up a good point uh, that of the 20 largest insurance companies in, in the country that 19 of them avoid it Like the plague, and don't touch it with an 11 foot pole, let alone a 10 foot pole. And most equity indexed annuity providers are smaller lower credit quality insurance companies primarily located in the Midwest. You'll see them in Iowa. You'll see them in Missouri. You'll see them in Kansas. You know, you don't see the Met Lifes of the world. You don't see the Prudentials. You don't see um, the principles of the world getting involved in these New types Life. of products. New York Life. They don't sell these types. Now, they sell variable annuities, and we're not going to go there because we don't like those either. But uh we're focusing primarily on the equity index annuities. And our listeners have probably heard us keep using the word product, product, product. Inv- listeners have to understand, everyone has to understand, this is an insurance contract. This is not a security, which means that FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities and Exchange Commission do not police these products. Which also means they do not police the words that are coming out of salesmen's mouths when they're selling these. It's up to every state board of insurance to police these. And I can tell you with past conversations I've personally had with the state board of insurance, I think they're really behind the curve. And correct me if I'm wrong here,
0: Kyle, but... Haven't some of the major brokerage houses banned the sale of these types of investments? Well,
1: in fact, FINRA, if you have a 7, Series 7, which is a license to sell financial security, stocks, bonds, options, what have you, um, they are really recommending you not sell these products and that if you do want to sell these products, you have to go through quite a few hoops to even get the authority to sell them. FINRA would prefer any... Financial salesperson, typical stockbroker, to not sell these products. And in fact, there is an alert, an investor alert on the FINRA webpage. You can go to brokercheck.com or FINRA. To actually read about the investor alerts on equity indexed annuities and how complex they are and how convoluted they are. And they're made that way and they're designed that way for a reason. So the salespeople that sell indexed annuities are not regulated by FINRA, they're not overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission, they only answer to the State Board of Insurance, which means that in their marketing pitches, they can make some absolutely outrageous claims, and when they turn out not to be true, they simply get a minor slap on their hand from the State Board of Insurance and
0: just to kind of for some of our listeners that uh, weren't listening to us in 2005 2006, we actually turned into the State Board of Insurance a particular radio show that was promoting equity indexed annuities and uh,
1: in one show in one, one show. in one hour they had 26 noted violations. In their sales practices and the sales pitches they were making. You know, continuing on EIAs, they carry extremely high fees and pay outrageous commissions to salespeople. In fact, I found a study conducted by two PhD mathematicians for a firm called Securities Litigators, where they have found that approximately twenty percent of premium paid into an equity indexed annuity goes directly into the pocket of the insurance company that created the EIA and to the sales force. And you keep saying EIA equity, equity index annuities. annuities. So if you're given, so if you're buying an equity index annuity, putting a hundred thousand dollars into it, you can almost assure yourself that about twenty thousand dollars of that is going into the pocket of the salesperson and the insurance company that has created the product. And you might say, well, Kyle, I put in a hundred thousand dollars and I've got a hundred thousand dollars in my account. That is true, but guess what? You do have. You have anywhere between 10 to 17 years of surrender penalty period. Yeah, you heard me right. 17 years. I'm reviewing accounts right now for a prospective client that has 17-year surrenders, which means that if you want to get out of this thing, you're going to be hit with a massive back-end sales charge to cover... The huge amount of commissions paid to the salesperson that sold these things. Now, equity indexed annuities, again, because it's not an investment product, they can pay double-digit commissions to the people that sell them. Why do you think they're so popular for insurance agents? And why do you think they run
0: radio shows all over the state, all over the country? Because they pay
1: big commissions. That's right. Um, and so we, you know, we talked about the surrender pe- penalty period. You know, I've done a bunch of research on multiple equity indexed annuities, and what I have found, running numbers back, and in fact, I've I've seen some where numbers have been run back to 1950. I've seen numbers run back to 1962, and I can tell you that from the research I have done, you're looking at historical rates of return for some very popular equity indexed annuities that are out there right now being sold. Returns ranging anywhere from one and a half to two percent annualized per year. This
0: is where we go back to the statement that we made in the first segment of this educational portion of the program that said that these equity indexed annuities over the long term don't re- return just maybe slightly more than you you might receive in a CD That's or a right. government bond in in the current interest rate environment. That's
1: right. So let's talk about their uh, the extremely poor liquidity that equity indexed annuities provide. Now all annuities all annuities provide a 10% free withdrawal, where you can take 10% of your money out without any kind of surrender penalties or what have you. But what happens if you lock up your retirement assets in an equity indexed annuity, variable annuity, fixed annuity, and God forbid you had an emergency and you need to get a hold of more than 10%? Well, in an equity indexed annuity, you could be hit with rear-end surrender charges 20% plus to get this money out. So there is extremely poor liquidity in equity indexed annuities. Coming up to our last commercial break, we're going to take the break. When we come back, I'll be wrapping up the equity indexed annuity education, we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the break, I was talking about the lack of liquidity in equity indexed annuities and really annuities in general only allowing up to a 10 percent free withdrawal Uh, anything above that particularly in equity indexed annuities you can be hit with substantial rear-end commissions or rear-end surrender charges as we call them or contingent deferred sales charges is another way uh, to describe them so again they have a real lack of liquidity now as i was talking about how extremely complicated these products are you know they're complicated to keep purchasers in the dark so the salesperson can can continue to make outrageous claims and sell their perceived advantages to the purchaser but because the product is so complex and you need to be a phd in math in mathematics to figure them out it, it, it makes it to where the purchaser doesn't have the ability to ask any questions because they were so complex and opaque and opaque when it comes to, to how they actually are structured and how they work. And equity indexed annuity salespeople are really targeting the financially unsophisticated. Uh, because, again, once you sign on that dotted line and your 10-day or 15-day free look period is up, for the annuity, you're trapped. There's nothing else you can do. If you want out of this thing, you could possibly get hit with a 20-plus percent sales charge trying to get out of this thing. Uh, You know, and what, again, doing my research earlier this week, I ran across an insurance company out of Iowa that in the state of California, there's currently a class-action lawsuit against them where they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. Now, for those of you all that don't know, the RICO Act was used to break up racketeering and basically organized crime back in the 70s and 80s. And the fact that an equity indexed annuity provider in this company in particular has over $21 billion of assets, they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. That's pretty. That's pretty significant. I would say, wouldn't you say, Dad? Yes. That someone's getting accused, and actually, I believe they've already lost, uh, and they're now having to pay a huge settlement. And, and really, what the the lawsuit stemmed from was the targeting of elderly people to buy equity indexed annuities, and that's really where this California class action lawsuit is really aimed at this particular insurance company. Was because of their very deceptive and really predatory sales practices that they were using in equity index annuities. I mean, predatory to the point that Chris Hansen of Dateline NBC did a, what was it, like a one hour or two hour expose on the deceptive sales practices of equity index annuities. And he's known for the catch a predator. Well, this is to catch a financial predator.
0: It was because his mother had been approached by uh, this. A salesperson. The salesperson. That's what got him into it.
1: And and so somewhere out there on the Internet, and this was from a few years ago. Yeah, it was several years this ago. This was several years ago. And, again, any long-time listener to this program know that we are disdained for annuities of all shapes and forms, but equity-indexed annuities is what really gets me fired up because they are so worthless
0: well, they're, they're In the my blue opinion. bonnet plague of all yeah, of products all, of all that products. we've ever come across.
1: And, and you know, we're doing our best to try to end the sales of these. But when you see these high commissions and because they're targeting unsophisticated investors, they get taken by these fantastic-sounding sales pitches, and then realizing after they sign on that dotted line, whoops, I made a huge mistake, but it's going to cost me a fortune to get out of this thing and to fix my mistakes. We're trying to educate our listeners to avoid making the mistake in the first place. Has there been anyone
0: in the last nine years since we've been doing this radio show that called our office that said that they had an annuity of some type and after getting a few questions answered and looking at a statement, realizing that they had an equity-indexed annuity and then explaining to them that the markets did X and their particular investment did far less than X, have we ever had anyone express their pleasure that they bought one of these years ago?
1: No. in, in, In fact, the prospective client right now that I'm working on was just doing some analysis on their EIAs Got an EIA that's had since around 2006. Since 2006, um, his performance return up 15%. Moderately allocated asset builder account at Davidson Capital Management, actively managed, close to 90%. After all fees, after all fees and expenses, that's a huge difference. That 's a huge difference when you annualize that number when you annualize that number out again they're making just above what a CD would return. but I, I can almost assure you that the sales pitch being used was all of the upside, none of the downside and I do know, and again for education, this prospective client had told me that another big pitch to him was that annuities was the only way to shelter your assets from lawsuits. That is an absolute lie. There are a multitude of ways to shelter your assets from being sued and from liability. Being inside an IRA, inside of a 401K, inside any kind of retirement plan, that's a way to shelter annuities. You have family-limited partnerships. Yeah. The last person that anyone should be asking about
0: how do I shelter my assets <laughs> from potential lawsuits is an insurance salesman. Amen. 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 If you if you need to talk to a lawyer mm-hmm. about shielding assets from particular that's fr- right. from from a lawsuit. That's the only person, in my opinion, that would be qualified to answer that question. You don't go ask your mechanic about a tax question. Yeah. That's
1: right. You don't and come you, to, you, 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 don't you, you don't come best asking about a heart problem. That's right. You don't go to you your know. doctor to get your teeth cleaned. Right. So uh, I mean, really when it comes down to the end of the day, anyone that's listening to this program that has even had the fleeting thought of buying a product like this, do yourself a huge favor, pick up the phone, give us a call at 906-0070, and take 15 to 20 minutes out of your life to get an education about how these things work. And that's of and, any any type of annuity. Of any type of annuity. And I can tell you that we've had some calls, I've had some calls in the past, Jeff, of people that had heard this education that we've done in the past on annuities, and they have thanked us for making that mistake in buying these types of products. And, you know, I wanted to, to thank all of our listeners to, to sticking with us in this second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program to get this education because we want to see the ending of the sales of these products because they are no good for, for, for nobody. I mean, they're, they're no good, Period. And there should be no reason for these things to be bought. So if you want to get an education, you give us a call. And with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And for my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.